You probably already know that Australia is home to the longest continuous living culture on the face of the earth. But have you ever wondered why First Nations Aboriginal culture has survived not only tens of thousands of years, but also over 250 years of the devastating effects of colonisation, which still exist to this day? My podcast guest this week has some of the answers, and they may surprise you. Yvonne Weldon is a legend in the fight for the rights of First Nations Aboriginal Australian people. As an independent councillor for the city of Sydney, Yvonne is the first Aboriginal councillor in the 180-year history of the Sydney City Council. Every day, she is having paradigm-shifting conversations in the halls of power, pushing for positive reform in healthcare, education, and child protection. She's just written a new book, a love story, called 67 Days. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation, but first, we have to play some ads, because podcasts are free to listen to. They're not free to make. So to pay the people that help me make this show, we're going to play some commercials. You might hear some, you might not, depending on how you listen and where you listen. But if you do, thank you. You're helping us keep the lights on. On the other side of this, we're going to hear Yvonne. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's less about the blaming, but rather about the owning. And until we can get to that space, or, or rather than deny my people's existence or or the fact that this land was not taken in peace and then how do we make peace with that because people need to have maturity to be able to have those conversations you know like my mum was born in a segregated part of Cowra Hospital you know she's she turned 70 this year that is my mother and I'm not that young but I'm not that old neither and so it's not that long ago in all reality and so when people get out of the mindset oh it happened such a long time ago people need to get over it and all those sorts of things when do we get over it unless we actually start to right some of the wrongs of the past we haven't made any change at all that was Yvonne Weldon I'm Osha Ginsberg and this is Better Than Yesterday
G'day. Welcome to Better Than Yesterday. Thank you so much for being here. This is a tri-weekly podcast that is just here to help your day today feel better than it did yesterday. We've been here since 2013, and we've been doing it every single week uh, by having conversations with people from all over the world, from all walks of life, some of them experts in their field. Each chat will leave you with the feeling of, yeah, today's a bit better than it was the day before, because you thought of something new, or you felt something different, or you got turned on an idea that otherwise wasn't there. I'm Osher Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm an author, a dad, a stepdad, a bicycle rider. Now, pretty much exclusively a bicycle that involves a baby seat and a seat for Audrey uh, behind me. I'm a Norfolk Island pine seed planter. Wolf and I found some in the park this morning and we put it in a pot and we'll, we'll see what happens. Actually, we're reading a book all about seeds and we, we found some seeds and here's this little seed and it's going to turn into hopefully a tree that's uh, 40 meters tall. Ah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's been pretty fun. And yeah, I'm grateful I can be with you today. There's heaps of podcasts to check out. They go all the way back to 2013. Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm here with a guest, and Fridays, I'm here with you. If you want to get in touch with me, super easy. Send us your email at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, Osha underscore Ginsburg. Also, please check out the other podcast uh, that I do every week with Charlie Clawson. It's called Dad Pod. It's a uh, parenting podcast made by dads for dads who don't want to be shit dads. So uh, if you're a dad or you know a dad or you want to pass a podcast onto a dad, this is the one for them. We talk all about uh, food refusal in the podcast that's out this week, toddlers who just eat like champs at daycare and then go, nah, stuff you at the end of the day. And it's really interesting. We've got a uh, a clinical dietitian on the show. She gives us some proper guidance, which is actually really, really good. Thanks also for everyone who's been enjoying The Masked Singer. We love making it, making, uh, having a lot of fun making it. And it's super duper cool uh, this season. So um, I couldn't be more happy that it's out. And I couldn't be more happy that so many people are enjoying it because it's super, it's fun. Let me tell you about my guest today. Yvonne Weldon is a proud Wiradjuri woman born into a family legendary in their fight for justice for Aboriginal Australians. With over 30 years experience working in key organisations, both in government and Aboriginal organisations, driving change in healthcare, education, child protection, looking for positive reform in each of those areas, Yvonne is now an independent councillor for the city of Sydney. She is the first Aboriginal councillor in the 180-year history of the City of Sydney City Council. On top of her work with the Metropolitan Local Aboriginal Land Council and Domestic Violence New South Wales, Yvonne has found time to write a novel. 67 Days is a beautiful yet powerful story about first love, belief and culture infused with Wiradjuri dreaming. The book is out right now. And we talk about that and a lot of other things. In fact, Yvonne and I cover a lot of ground in this conversation, including uh, speaking about the Uluru Statement from the Heart and the First Nations Voice to Parliament. What she has to say about both may come as a surprise to you. Uh, It certainly came as a surprise to me. In fact, it came as two surprises. Okay, surprise number one was, oh, didn't expect you to say that. And surprise number two, when I questioned myself, Why was I surprised about that? Well, then the second surprise (laughs) was realizing that until that moment, I had internalized an unconscious bias that all First Nations Aboriginal Australians would feel exactly the same about any policy that impacts them. I didn't realize I'd done that. 
I was surprised because I was instantly ashamed about it, to be honest. Instantly ashamed that I'd automatically thought that in that moment. I mean, I would never expect every white Australian to feel exactly the same way about a policy that impacts them or their lives. But I realised in that very moment, I hadn't thought that the same latitude would apply to any other human being in our country. It's okay to understand that we have unconscious biases. It's a part of how we grow up. Sometimes they're useful. Sometimes they're less than useful. Recognising that they exist is a very important step. Recognising that they may also impact our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, and our actions, that's really important. Dismantling them is simply as easy as noticing them and then committing to perhaps considering something from another angle. And noticing that one was a very big deal for me. I hope that throughout this conversation, you have a fun time unpacking a few things that may have been pre-programmed into you, just through the way you grew up, just through living in the country we live in, in the systems that we grew up living in. Give you a second layer to work with as you listen to this incredible conversation with Yvonne Weldon. Firstly, I'm just really grateful to speak with you, Yvonne, and I'm I'm stoked that you've written this book, um, 67 Days, because, you know, it's a simple thing to say. You can't be what you can't see. And so much yes. of our culture that we appropriate, we appropriate from stories, we appropriate from fiction, um, fiction being a reflection of the life lived by the creator of that fiction, whether it be art or music or, or whatever. And it's just, mm. it's so important to have such a story that's familiar and spoken in language of, you know, people falling in love and people falling out of love and obstacles to being together, but spoken through the the lens and or shown through the lens of um, we're Rajiri dreaming. It's just so important to have that. Um, and it's brilliant. Yeah, I'm thrilled that you've you've written this, and I know it took a, it's a long time for you to write it and to, to have it to come. Actually, it didn't. It didn't. It actually, well, to actually arrive. Or to arrive. To, sorry, to it took a long time yeah, yeah. to arrive. As projects like this sometimes do. Where, yeah, yeah. Where are we speaking to you today, uh, Yvonne? What part of the world are you in? So I'm on Gadigal country um, at Rosebury. Um, so yeah, I've grown up in and around uh, Redfern my entire life, but um, sort of in a West more more than anything, but actually was born at, at uh, uh, Newtown or Camperdown and uh, I've schooled and everything all uh, in and around Redfern. It's amazing. I always, I kind of envy people who have that. I grew up in, like, I'm born in another country and I'm an immigrant, but I'm yeah. white so no one cares. Uh, but, yeah, you know, yeah. I was born in another country <laughs> and it, there was Adelaide and there was Queensland and there was here and there was America. Like, I, yeah. I oh, is that, why you, is that why you went for the Maroons because you were in Queensland? Is that right? Ah, oh, yeah, right. Come on, come on. <laughs> Where are you living now? Well, you know, you are a blues person, so you should be, yeah. <laughs> Victoriously. Yeah, and whatever. In a dominating fashion, <laughs> took out the decider of the yeah, yeah, third yeah, game yeah. of the State of Origin of twenty twenty two. It was it was rigged because really it was up there too. So oh, there's no rigged about that. That's the sixteenth player, mate. That's the uh, yeah. <laughs> that's the crowd at Lang Park. You can't beat that. Um, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, it was it was yeah. But yeah, I'm, look, how how am I ever going to not go for Queensland? I mean, a cr- crikey, oh. I mean, you got it's the, it's like State of Origin, Yvonne. It's like 
where you were when you first went, oh, this is a cool game. That's where you were when you probably picked a team and you probably went, that, it's that connection that I'm chasing every time I watch a game, right? <laughs> so how, how old were you when you went to your first, I'm guessing, Souths game? Yeah. Um, don't know. My dad always played park footy, you know, in and around Redfern as yeah. well. So he played for um, Redfern All Blacks and, and, and a team called Zetland. Um, and so I remember doing going to a lot of those games. Um, yeah. And I just remember it being very wet and and uh, very boring. From you know, like I'm one of three girls, so yeah, we right. had to make our fun best we possibly could. And yeah. um, but I remember going to a few South games at Redfern Oval, which was pretty cool and and very packed. But and I also strangely enough, and so maybe it was a uh, you know the Tigers. Um, South games, but I, do, I remember going to a few Leichhardt games as well. It's a fun, it's a fun oval, lad, and it's not. Yeah. A, I mean, in the days of now, now the, the like the big bucks have really come into it. You know, in the last I got twenty years or so, but the you know the grounds were just down the road. They were just suburban grounds, oh, yeah. and there were people whose houses looked onto the field, and they were just hang out. It was particularly Leichhardt. They just hang out they the did. window and watch yes. the footy. They did. You know, they did. <laughs> um, but now you've got these like mega stadiums and, you know, $7 pies and that sort of thing. So yes. It's, it's probably, yes. Probably $12 pies. I don't know. I haven't bought a pie in a long yeah. time. But um, yeah, I, look, I'm, I'm, I came to it late in life. My parents weren't like they were immigrants, they knew soccer and there was no soccer in Queensland. So they're like, no, we don't know what this is. So we never went to, and I never really kind of got into it as a kid until I, I was in my teens, you know, to be honest. Yeah, right. And when I started, you know, going to school and hearing other kids talk about it and then went to a couple of games at the old Lang Park, um, back when it was sponsored by a cigarette company. And yeah. <laughs> it was wild to even think about it in my lifetime. Like yes. The premier athletic competition of, of, of the aspirational <laughs> male in Australia was sponsored by <laughs> a cigarette company. Well, it's like that or in, I think in my age, what was it, Toys or something way back oh, then. Mate. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, and you, you can believe me, I'm 12 years sober now, but you can I, you can believe me those beer commercials worked. I thought as long as I keep drinking, if I all I have to do is keep drinking and Alan Border yeah. and Jeff Thompson are going to show up with yeah. an esky carry yeah. by a couple of chicks and bikinis yeah. and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. never showed up. But I kept drinking because that's what they had promised. <laughs> I was a very intellectual young 14-year-old. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely triggers by all those things. I mean, oh, my kids reckon I could, they could, you know, I could buy, you know, Eskimos could sell me ice. Um, you know, I would buy it. It's just that they, but it's interesting how they, um, you know, sporting, um, that connection yeah. with sport and, and uh, some of these you know, the advertising, how it does trigger so many things yeah. in, in terms of memories, but also um, in how you cope and what kids see as well. So, yeah, oh, you definitely grow with it. But I, I tell you, mate, some of those gambling ads, I'm like, really? Really? I know. Like, if you're, a, if you're a 20-year-old or 22-year-old guy and you're kind of looking to find your way and you've got this ad that says, you are a piece of shit if you don't get on a 17-point multi with four of your mates, you don't have yeah. mates because you don't bet. I'm like, come on, man. We, mm. It's just, it's not, it's not fair. You know? Well, you know, and and yet we we look at that to be okay, but you yeah. know, smoking to be no longer okay, and drinking to no longer. I don't, I don't understand how, um, you know, that's supposed to be less of a evil. Yeah, well, it's all it's all addiction, and as as someone who you know right. lives with that in my brain and has to be aware of it all the time, you know, I'm I'm really aware of that and how it does pop up, pops up everywhere. 
It just it, if it's it not here, it's there. It just shows up, and you just gotta. It's like a leaky hose. You just gotta keep looking for mm. it and go. Oh, I better take care of that before it gets bigger. When you, yeah. I mean, I even growing up in Brisbane, growing up in Brisbane, even I knew what what Redfern was. Um, mm. What do you think the biggest misconception I would have had, like say eighties, nineties Redfern? What do you think the the biggest misconception I would have had about the place that you know you grew up? That there wasn't culture. That it was all about. Uh, drugs and alcohol and abuse. Um, you know, the parts that I've grown up knowing is a, a real sense of family and protection. Um, and there's a lot, a lot of diversity within Aboriginal people because there are hundreds of different um, tribes and nations and clans, even more hundred clans. So it is quite insular in how we we are but we're so very diverse and I think some of those misconceptions is around that we're just one people yeah. um, and we all get along and, it, and it, <laughs> that's not the way. Yeah, it's such, a, it's such a colonial mindset. Bear in mind, I grew up in Bjelke, Peterson, Queensland, all right, which was yeah, – right. which, and so my – speaking of young minds being polluted, my mind was polluted by the messaging at the time, um, mm. which was in all – popular culture. It was on TV. It was jokes on nighttime TV shows. It was in newspapers. It was cartoons. And that's, I'm a kid, you know, so I think it's, that's what it is. Mm. You know, I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. And it took me a while, unfortunately, until I was in my late teens to go, oh, hang on a second. That's not right. Um, but mm. I just, you know, I, I, that's how I grew up. And that was what I, the messaging I was infused with. Um, yeah. But, you know, you're absolutely right. And it's such a, it's such a colonial mindset of like, um, you look the same, so you are the same, so therefore, boom. But I, it's, we, I've moved down to this office. Where I used to have the map on my wall, the, um, the incredible language map on my wall. There's like seven, oh, yeah. 700, 800 different language groups. It's just yeah. c- colossal, you know, completely yes. different stories, completely different cultural practices. Completely like different to Europe. Completely different, you know, laws, completely different mm-hmm. tr- traditions, you know, as, yes. as different, as, as close as Germany and France are, like as different That's as right. that. You know, faces mm-hmm. might look similar, completely different way yeah. of humanity. Germans, very mm-hmm. different to French. Completely different, yes. you know? Yes. But yes. we can't get our heads around that that's also here, right? That's right. So I think, you know, like when you think about, but in the 80s and 90s, you would have seen lots of negative stuff online about riots and things like that. So that would also be the mindset around everyone's perception. But um, that was such a small part really yeah. of of some of the struggles yeah. and some of the issues. Oh, absolutely. Your your parents not only play, you know, footy, but your parents were quite quite active, weren't they? And so so mm. your family, they were the activists from young. Do you remember your first you remember your first march? Remember you going to your first march? I do. I do. Oh, I think I was about four. Yeah. Um yeah, and we would we would march from Redfern to Town Hall, where I now have an office, but um, <laughs> which is so which is so weird. But um, yeah, I do, and it was something that we marched. You know, we definitely marched. I mean, it was it was called a week Aboriginal week. Then now it's called NADOC week. But um, we would march from Redfern to Town Hall or Redfern to Parliament House, depending on on the time of year or if the issues that needed to be addressed. So. Yeah. But there was a regular march every year during NADOC week. It was the first full uh, week of July and we would march to Town Hall and there would be lots of different speakers. And, and uh, you know, I, I do recall quite clearly those, you know, the, the steps that we took from, from Redfern mm. along George Street to uh, Town Hall and, 
and just some of the behaviours of the people that you would see on, you know, on the you know, on the footpath or from the shop fronts that would watch us and it was a, a real eye-opener. It was, it's actually been really interesting when I think about like the journey and, and reflecting back mm. around how far we've come or or how far we still have to go. Yeah. But again, in your lifetime, uh, in my mm-hmm. lifetime, we've gone from you know, footy comps being spo- and cricket comps being sponsored by cigarettes yes. you know, to now in your lifetime, probably the most reprehensible things being screamed at a four-year-old child Mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. someone probably only in their 20s, you know, yeah. to yeah. to now. And unfortunately, those things are probably screamed now online. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's not mm-hmm. that it's gone away, but that was completely no. acceptable public behaviour. It was. You know? It was. It was very um, overt in the past and now I think it's quite covert yeah. in, in certain, you know, in the way that uh, policy and procedures yeah. and, and how people exist in um, – in you know what is now acceptable so yeah. if you can utilize you know um you know you see it in politics all the time around how uh they say that it's not racist but it really is in their behaviors um in what and who who they exclude yeah rather than include what did your parents tell you about you know a, do you remember like as you got a bit older and you could kind of understand like you know what an angry face is you know and you're looking mm-hmm. on the side of the street and you're seeing someone that you don't know making an angry face at you or your family what did your parents mm-hmm. tell you about that or how to deal with it did they talk to you about it yeah like one of the earliest um impacts on me in terms of knowing that there was difference or that there was uh additional stuff that we had to address or had to deal with, um, I previously, um, I, uh, when I went to Redfern Public School, so, you know, it had, had been there since kindy, finished my schooling there, and I had, I was in infants at Redfern Public and, you know, and we, you know, we would have days off where we'd, we'd go and, and protest and because my mum was the first company secretary of the Aboriginal Legal Service, uh, and, you know, my family set that up and the Aboriginal Medical Service, Aboriginal Children's Service and, and Aboriginal Housing Company, all of that was just part and parcel to who you are, you know. So you'd have to, as a child, go along the meetings and, and you know, you, d- you didn't understand what these things were. Like, And my cousins and stuff would be there. So it was sort of extra fun for us because we got to play and, you know, whatever. Like the cousins, would, so particularly if I had family come down from country areas. But I remember at Redfern Public School I had this really great um, friend, she was my little bestie, and we would meet on the stairs, and and um, and and once we'd meet, we'd go sort of down the, the bottom playground or the top playground and, and skip and, and play games and or hopscotch or whatever. And I got invited to her birthday party, and I remember um, going to it so vividly, and and I remember I brought her. And she was you know freckly with blue you know blue eyes, and I was so she was you know, my little bestie. And I remember buying her at at the time, it, you know, the in thing was a Raggedy Ann yeah. doll. And I didn't realise, you know, at the time, but clearly now I sort of think, oh, you know, was I given, you know, I was giving her a doll that sort of looked like her, yeah, you know, yeah. and didn't look like me. But it was, I wanted a Raggedy Ann doll. And, um, and I gave it to her and I went to her birthday party and I remember it was just really odd, like the party, my mum, it was the first party I'd ever went to that yeah. didn't, involve family and stuff and I remember you know there was this really uneasy feeling as a child you know and there was adults sort of drinking beer and I'd never been to a kid's birthday party where adults were drinking alcohol and my mum sort of went up the road and came back and 
I remember, you know, when I got back to school on the Monday, you know, I went, waited on the stairs for her and she wasn't there. And I waited on the Tuesday and I waited on the stairs and she wasn't there. And on the Wednesday, I thought, oh, I'll go down and see her classmates to see, you know, is she okay sort of thing. And she was there and I said to her, I've been waiting for you, you know. And she said, um, my mum and dad said, I can't be your friend anymore. And so that's when I, re- and I said to my mum, well, what did I do? Like, did I, didn't she not like my present or, and she said, baby, it's, it's not about you, it's about them. And so I, you know, year one, um, learnt that you didn't get treated the same. And I, I didn't know what that meant for me, but I, it certainly didn't change, um, it didn't change the way that I looked at other people or how, but I, it made me look at myself a little bit harder and thought, well, what was wrong with me? And, um, you know, so when you think about marching or you mm. think about raising those issues, uh, even if you don't, even if you're just playing hopscotch or playing skips, um, people will have that bias against you because of their own issues, not not because of who you are. That's uh, so, hard, uh, so heartbreaking, but I'm sure that story is been told a thousand times, you know. I'm sure that 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 story, you know, everyone you know in your community would have that story, and it's so, yeah. it's so sad. And I'm sure it exists mm. today. I'm sure it exists today when, you know, um, oh, I've got my friend at school, Mo. He's awesome. What, Mo, you know, what, what, Monty? No, Muhammad. All right, Muhammad's not coming over. You know, and that, you know, mm. I'm sure it's the same. You know, and it's just mm-hmm. it's just ignorance, isn't it? And it's a, such it a shame, such a shame. Uh, but it is what it is, and it uh, is. addressing that is is so extraordinary. That's not fair, those little kids, man. And that is that is the parents. But it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I, when we talked about Queensland, you know, the people that you know I grew up with who were in power, like their kids, grew up with that, and those kids are now probably the leaders of industry, the people that write policy, such and such. So the idea of, well, no, the law clearly states that there's no discrimination. Yeah, tell me that when someone shows up and their face, you know, looks like someone who grew up in Western New South Wales mm-hmm. and put that against another job candidate. And you show me who you hire, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But see, that's what, the, that's what the problem is with this country, I think, that is that the, no one wants to uh, address the R word. People think that it doesn't exist. And I don't understand why, as a country, we are so um, adverse to addressing it, like, or or to even saying it. And and I know that people are affronted by it being suggested, but Mm. imagine if you're the one that's dealing with it all the time. (laughs) And it is very exhausting. And, you know, like even, I mean, I I tell you, like, it doesn't just stay outside of, um, you know, from from Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, it's, it's also within as well. Like I, I've, I've lived with a lot of stuff as, as you, you know, know that my family have been trailblazers and, um, sometimes that's, that's hard as well yeah. because, um, you know, as we started off talking about it, we are so diverse in terms of our, our nations and our tribes and our clans. Yeah. And that also, that diversity is about traditions and cultural practices. And, and sometimes, you know, even in language groups, you know, words that are in Radri are offensive, you know, in other tribes and, and vice versa. And so there are very, you know, and I'm from a matriarchal society um, and some aren't. And, you know, those, and there were like wars within as well um, that used to get dealt with. But that's who we've always been, and I think yeah. that 
Um, I don't understand why people are so challenged by that because we are inclusive. It's just about time that people started to yeah. be inclusive of us. It, we are we are really scared, I think, as Australians to have a look at how racist our, the system that exists is. I mean, it, it, is, it is. It is. There's no denying it. It's a system that has been built for the benefit of and is policed by essentially white men, uh, heteronormative mm-hmm. white men. Mm-hmm. And do you think that a, a part of why we're so reluctant as Australians to talk about racism in our country is because we are so reluctant to recognise and be at peace with the fact that the, the sovereignty was never ceded and colonialism mm-hmm. destroyed cultures and continues mm-hmm. to cause massive destruction. And if we don't talk about it, we can pretend it doesn't exist. Like, is there a shame around that? Do you think that's stopping us? I think I think there's definitely ownership around it or the lack of ownership. Um, I do think, however, that there has been some mature conversations that's taken place uh, mm. more recently. I think that um, leadership comes in various forms and people um, are uncomfortable with some of these conversations because they think, well, what does that mean for me? Which is really strange because no one thinks about well, what does what does that mean for us in terms of my people? You know, and so if you go out into your backyard, like that could have been someone else's backyard for 65,000 years. It could have been someone's birthing place. It could have been, you know, someone's ceremonial ground. Why is it that, you know, we respect the 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 monuments that exist in sandstone but not actually exist in its natural form of how we have always lived in unison with, with this land? Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, I've seen stuff online where you just go, you know, w- w- like we've been here since, you know, for in excess of 65,000 years and and it's that, that information has not come from us in terms of our science because we, we've always known that, mm. but but when you want to put the figures on it and then people say, oh, yeah, but they migrated from this part of the world and I go, hold on, why is it that you just don't want us yeah. to, to be, um, you know, a part of this yeah. land? Like what, why are you so challenged by that? And I think it is because, uh, you know, that there's the word invasion or, you know, a word settled and and then saying that it was, you know, we did nothing with the land after all this. Actually, no, we, we did lots with it. Yes. Um, we respected it, whereas yeah. we expect the land to respect you rather than you respect the land and so there are ancient fish traps there are you know there's even here in Sydney there is uh, rock engravings of about 50,000 years old of the constellation and uh, I mean it's we've got more rock engravings here in Sydney than any other parts of uh, this continent and people don't even realise that, or some people do in the north side, that we've got, you know, Metro Land Council, which I've been actively involved with for, you know, my since I turned 18, but certainly more formally in the last 12 years or so. But, you know, we've had people over there trying to destroy it on in, uh, in North Sydney or on the North Shore because they don't want it to exist. And yet this consolation engravings, this, this was way before, you know, any of the technology. Apparently we were pretty backward, right? Yeah. But the exact same engraving that's here, we've had people come from the Kimberley from Broome to have a look at it because they have the same engravings over there. So you think about Sydney yeah. to Broome, I mean, if you had to walk that in a lifetime, I don't know what that what that would mean. But yet, was it the same artist that did the same 
engravings. Wow. And then apparently there's also uh, cave drawings uh, in Central Australia with the same with, with the same um, constellation. So how how do you, how do people do that? And and it really touches me in in such a way that the universe is so large, um, and yet you know my people have been living it um, in its in all its form without all of the technology, without all the written stuff. But but there are records in so many different ways. To just even hold the idea that you are living and you are a part of a culture that is responsible for destroying a lot of that is hard, you know, mm. and I understand why people would react as if, no, no, it never happened. No, no, no. I understand why denial and refusal and aggression is a part mm-hmm. of that response because it's awful to admit. It's awful yeah. to admit that I'm a part of, ben- I, I benefit from a system that was built to destroy that, actively built mm. to destroy it. And what would need to happen, do you think? What do you think would need to happen for us to actually have a conversation about something along the lines of an actual treaty about sovereignty, about what, what do you think would need to happen for us to come to grips with that? Oh, look, I think that um, it's less about the blaming but rather about the owning. And until we can get to that space or, or rather than deny um, my people's existence or or the fact that this land was not taken in peace. You know, like just go for a drive, an hour's drive, wherever you are listening to this or watching this and think about the local creeks that says, you know, Poison Waterhole. They didn't get that name by chance. No. They got that name because that's what actually took place. Yeah. Um, so think about your family being at that waterhole, reliant on that water, so whether you were just settling in this country or, you know, living or existing in this country and that trauma taking place, how far do you think we've come? Um, so until we have some mature conversations around, well, this stuff did happen um, and then how do we make peace with that? Because people need to have maturity to be able to have those conversations. You know, like my mum was born in a segregated part of Cowra Hospital. You know, she, is, she turned 70 this year. You know, that is my mother. And I'm not that young, but I'm not that old neither. And so it's not that long ago in yeah. all reality. And so when people get out of the mindset, oh, it happened such a long time ago, people need to get over it and all those sorts of things. <laughs> when do we when do we get over it when we start to make change? And unless we actually start to right some of the wrongs of the past, mm. um, we haven't made any change at all. And yeah. I am very concerned about, you know, how we almost simplify some of these issues like if you think about stolen generations, you know, and there was an apology about that. There are more Aboriginal children in care, in non-Aboriginal care today than there was from the stolen generations. The stolen generations policy was best practice of the day. What is best practice today that's going to make the difference tomorrow? Or are we going to have another inquiry? Or are we going to have another apology? What's going to take place? And I think that one of the things that I find really heartbreaking is that we don't see um, each other as, as human beings. We see them as opposition. And I think that's the part that I just don't, I struggle with because, I, I you know, there's, I've been raised on the fact that, you know, there's always someone else worse off than you. And whatever you have, you, you should be able to share with others so that they 
they can gain as well. And you don't do it at the expense of anyone else. You actually, you should be doing it with everyone else. And and that's how I want to be. And I've raised my children and my grandson to be. I want to make a difference for my grandson because otherwise, you know, when he's a man and, you know, he's three now, when he's a man, what should be acceptable for him should no longer be acceptable in my life and so it shouldn't be in his. I would want him to be on a podcast in 30 years from now going, in my lifetime, this was the thing. And people go, yeah. whoa, <laughs> you know, that's what I want. But 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 you're right. And I've, I think it's, you know, the with the idea of scarcity or the idea of uh, blame comes the idea of if, if, I give, if I give something to you, there's less for me um, rather than if I give something to you, what can you add to my life? You know, how can we both be better out of this? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, but I think like it, it's it's interesting when you're saying less for you know what do I hand over that's less for me, but the the difference is is that I didn't hand anything over; yeah. it was taken. True, you know. Absolutely. So um, and so whatever you're handing over is what you actually that people before you took yeah. without permission or without yeah. being given, and that's the part that I think that. Uh, Aboriginal people are very inclusive and we're so inclusive that despite all the traumas and heartache, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that it's all, you know, um, we're not all singing Kumbaya, that's for sure, but but I think that we genuinely, um, you know, whether it's through welcomes to countries or, or acknowledgements or, mm. or sharing our culture and our traditions and our practices, we genuinely hand over in a meaningful way, not because it's about a power shift or it's about someone being right or someone being wrong. It's just that we, we're not the world's oldest living culture for no reason, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So if you just gain a little bit and even if you don't want to understand much, just understand the fact is that wherever you are, that's not something that was taken in peace. It, mm. it's, it's been a traumatic time and so how do you – deal with trauma is that you heal and that healing comes from in many different forms and we can only do it together and because if 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 we do it apart we're only ever going to be throwing rocks from afar and and I don't I don't want to do that because what difference do we make all we do all we do is that we're creating you know more enemies or more anger and more trauma and 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 I don't think you know whatever we have tomorrow um should be carrying any more of that, I think we need to start to uh, do the healing so that we can truly have an inclusive future. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And unfortunately, it does take great leadership. Um, it <laughs> takes, uh, it's like, it's like parenting, you know, your, your grandson is as old as uh, my youngest, who's nearly three. Mm. Um, kids don't do what you tell them. Kids do what you show them. All right, least, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And same, and I think that's the same with, you know, general population, you know. Generally, don't want to do what you tell them. But if a behaviour seems to be, oh, everyone does this, oh, this must be what we do, then yeah, that's yeah. it, you know. Yeah. So if we start yeah. to see our leaders uh, not just reciting acknowledgement of country like it's a, you know, a prayer at a, at a private school before a mass class, you know, it's just something mm -hmm. we have to get through before mm -hmm. we go, all right, gentlemen, you know, yeah, let's, let's plot some graphs, you know, yeah, whatever. Let's tick, it. let's tick it off, yeah. Let's tick a box and then we're done. Um, mm -hmm. You know, until we see our leaders treating each other with respect and treating people of different cultures within, say, Canberra, Parliament House, wherever, whatever leadership chambers there are around the country, mm -hmm. why would we expect the public to 
you know, follows suit. And that and that's mm-hmm. unfortunately been so lacking in uh, politics in our country, uh, yes. at a, definitely at a state and federal level over the last yeah. easy since the uh, early 90s. Who knows what happened then? And it's it's really mm-hmm. hard. You know, it's really, really hard because why, why would you ever expect people who grew up watching that as this is how we behave to think of anything was ever ever different? And yes. yeah, leadership is such a, such a part of this. And do you see leaders in your community like yourself, do you see leaders in your community take, take a run at, 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 you know, at, at a higher position and get disillusioned along the way? Do you see obstacles to that? Uh, <laughs> look, you know, nothing is easy in Aboriginal affairs, let me tell you. Um, black affairs is pretty painful. And I don't know what it is. I think it's sort of the crabs in the bucket sort of um, mentality. I think it's Australia, you know, the tall poppy syndrome and, and everything else in between. Well, and I think the media does a fair bit of that as well. Like if anyone, it's it's interesting on how we we we're more inclined to like people if they aren't successful, but we love a person if they become successful, but we want to make sure that they're not too successful. So you just go, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit confused about that. Why are we not all part of that journey? And so when I think about Aboriginal leadership, and I don't see myself as a leader, I'm just a person that has a go. That's truly how, you know, and when I stood for, you know, the Lord Mayor of Sydney, um, you know, and, and it's been an as a councillor, um, you know, the first time in 180 years, which is a, a great achievement, but it's also a great insult that it's taken this long. Yeah. You know, and I did it as an independent, you know, I had no money and no idea if I got there anyway. But, but And I had a really great bunch of people that supported me. And I must say, that's one of the most heartwarming things that I've learned through the po- process is that, there are so many people that are so willing and so ready and, and and do want change and and they actually are prepared to do it with their time and in their lifetime, which is which is beautiful as well, you know. And I think that's the, the key part. And so when I think about, you know, and other people speak about politics, and hey mate, I'm not a politician, I'm just a person that wants to be able to make a difference. And so when it comes more about the title and about, you know, the the status of something, I think that's where you probably lose a bit, you know, lose sight of what why you got into it. And I'm not begrudging anyone that that gets into it specifically because that's that's what they want to see themselves um, as. Don't um, worry, I do every week on this show, so you're fine if you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just think, well, you know, we all have lots to offer, every one of us. Some of us will be able to achieve it in other spaces and, and some of us may never be recognised and, and that's why I, you know, wrote the book the way that I did because mm-hmm. there are people that mattered um, and they still matter today because of their um, selfless uh, belief is mm. uh, what I think we all need to have in our world and in our lives. And, you know, when you think about even your the, the span of your children and your journey, you, you've probably come through, you know, so many different walks of life, people from same, you know, different uh, spaces and places, and yet... Um, you know, I think the common denominator always has to be about caring for each other. And if we don't do that, then then what are we doing? <laughs> That's all we've got. That's how we got to yeah. now. We yeah. are, it's not survival of the fittest, it's survival of no. the friendliest. And you yes. made such a great point before. Like, and I speak about this, and I'm sure you know Joe Williams. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. We, I'm related to him. Oh, yeah. 
He's such an extraordinarily wise man and such mm. a good guy. I love what you said before. Like it's no accident that, uh, you know, Aboriginal culture is 65,000 years plus old. There's no, mm -hmm. there's no accident that it's the longest living continuous culture on earth mm -hmm. because baked into that culture are the things that make it successful. Mm -hmm. Community, uh, cultural practice, uh, looking after each other, preparing for future, you know, bonding tradition, you know, family structure, legal system, like, and, and so wonderfully so that it survived mm -hmm. so long, whereas so many yes. others didn't. And yes. like, even when I speak to Joe about it, you know, baked into the act, to the cultural practice is, because uh, we speak about it a lot, is things to do to make your mind healthy. Mental health mm. and mental fitness is built into it, mm. and which I, I just think is just amazing. It's so incredible. And, mm. you know, that's, that's something that there's a lot to learn from that. And who wouldn't want to yes. learn from that? Who wouldn't want to learn these these ideas? Why am mm. I reading something of Chinese proverbs? Man, I don't yeah. want to read that. I mean, I can, I'm happy to read. I'm yeah. happy to take any knowledge, but I'm sure there's plenty yes. of wisdom right around the corner. You know, yep. <laughs> there probably yep. is like really deep, deep wisdom. But yeah. Joe tells me, mate, the stuff that you hear, that's essential at the kids' books that you read your little Wolfie, all right? Because, yeah. you know, Joe's been through a lot of ceremony. He's he's an elder yeah. and he's like, mate, the stuff on it. It's like, it's like it's kind of university, mate. I'm like, I'm sure it is, you know, because we never really yeah. think about that as a, as a, as a, essentially a Westerner, as a, you know, part of the, you know, kind of Anglo part of Australia that I am. The only Dreamtime stuff we hear is, um, you know, I didn't understand that. That was just essentially the kids' stories, the stuff yes. that you, you're allowed to access before you've gone through ceremony and access to, uh, you know, other other stories. But yeah, hearing, and, and of course, I'm like, well, of course it's like bloody university. Of course you, you know, got access to this knowledge and wisdom that is way, way, way beyond um, these initial stories. And mm. that blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely blew my mind. Yeah. Now, when uh, people use the term, you know, cultural competency and, 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 you know, to be culturally competent, and I don't really agree with those terms because I'll never be culturally competent um, until I leave this world, you know, mm. because it's a part of my journey. And so, you know, we're always uh, learning, always uh, enhancing and growing within and also mm. sharing that. And part of that, you know, growth for self has to be growth for others as well. And we, we continue to, you know, have that ripple effect um, and that sharing uh, of knowledge uh, belief and practices needs to continue. And when you think about the thousands of generations, and yet we've had probably, you know, five in here that's it has altered, um, you know, altered everything of how we've practiced for generations, thousands and thousands of generations. Yeah. Um, and yet we're, you know, on the brink or starting to move in a direction or start to not repair, I don't think we'll ever completely repair, but certainly move in a direction where uh, the impact um, and the wearing down of, of what we have it should be less than uh, than what we've experienced, you know, more recently in the last, you know, couple of uh, generations. So I think that, yeah. you know, we're almost moving in a certain way. But again, when I think about this country and how far we have not come, um, we can only do it, you know, if people start to um, own up and, and be able to make sure that they are going to make it better tomorrow for all of us rather who, than who, for only. Who wouldn't want to walk towards a, a better future together? Come on. <laughs> like, who wouldn't want to? You know, yeah. for all of us. 
I mean, it yeah. seems like a like if if there's someone in, if someone is is in pain in your suburb, you may not think it affects you, but it affects you. If someone's it having it, yeah, it does. It really does. It brings like the whole if someone out. if someone lost their life through through. Uh, their own hand in my street and I found out about it like that would be just devastating yeah. for me that I I I actually didn't um, make a difference and yeah. you know and and that's you know of someone in their block of units if it happened you know like I think yeah. that there are opportunities that we all have and I think you know what we and as I said you know what we do in terms of sharing is such an important part of who we all be you know mm. we don't come into this world you know um, I'm not saying that everyone has a mum and dad on there's you know diversity even within the family unit these days but but everyone comes into this world um, by a woman right and so um, and I'm not saying that that woman is it may be their mother. They could have two two dads um, as mm. as their parents, and so like our our makeup is is different. But we we're not born out of a test tube, you know. We're not yeah. born, you know, from a machine. So it's it's mm. about that human connectedness, yeah. And that's one of the you know, oh, was the irritation when they went into the terms, you know, social distancing during COVID. Like yeah. it was physical distancing. It should yeah. never have been social distancing. Such you know, a, I such don't a terrible understand. messaging. Yeah, we do subtle things that have such profound impacts for such a long period of time, and we don't own that, um, and we need to. And that, again, that comes back to leadership. We um we talked a little bit about acknowledgements of country and, and and welcomes to country before. I'm 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 grateful to work with not only a, a television network but also a production company that is uh, open to um, making more meaningful acknowledgements uh, of country mm-hmm. and particularly when we're putting together um, the season of the Bachelor. I'm I'm also very lucky to work with a, a fantastic um, a consultant, uh, Indigenous Affairs consultant, uh, that helped helped me actually put, put something together and I was, I was talking to her I was like this is a this is a chance we have a chance here like at, at 7 30 on a Wednesday night Australia's going to turn on they're going to see probably me probably talk for like a minute about this what's some like I'd really love to talk about rather than just like the same it's almost like a poem we can recite like a nursery rhyme right and this yes. is a kind of lost meaning we've said it so many times like yeah because um, we were shooting up on the Gold Coast right and I was like 65,000 years People would have fallen in love. People would have had families. People mm. would have been besotted with each other. People mm. would have raised beautiful children together. You know, mm. there would have been beautiful families. And, and like, oh, my God, I can't stop thinking about this girl. Oh, my God, I can't stop thinking about this guy. He's amazing. You should go talk to him. Like, that's, it's, it's bonkers to think that didn't always happen, you know? Mm. Like, it, it has to have. And yeah. between the two of us, we, we, I was really grateful that we worked, we worked some, something up. Uh, and it's hopefully, you know, when people watch it, they'll be, you know, oh, what did I just listen to? And then, just, you yeah. know, before they realise it, they've been told, you know, kind of Trojan horse this thing. In. Uh, but which is why I'm so thrilled that you've written this uh, this this romance, uh, this story about romance, this story about people falling in love through the lens mm. of of Wiradjuri dreaming. And, and because the, I guess you know the kind of the Anglo view of of falling in love is it's the same thing we see in the movie all the time, right? You yeah. Know? It's the same. It's the same story told with different faces, but it's the same thing that's been happening since Shakespeare before. Um, yeah. Why, why was it important for you to tell a love story uh, from from this particular perspective? I think that um, oh, love should be a key part of who we all are. You know, it should be around us in in various forms. And I think that you know, even self love is important. And 
There is so much in the world and particularly, you know, when I think when we've just talked about some of the struggles with, you know, the with First Nations people of this country, there is so much um, anger about lots of things that have always created real hurt and trauma. And, and if you don't have love, um, it can be, you know, there's a level of hopelessness that you just can never get over. And I, I think that uh, if you come through the lens of, um, you know, having love in your life, you can, you can get through many things, if not all things. What are some things that might, you know, take people by surprise uh, when you're trying to tell a love story um, from, from this angle? Uh, probably the, the diversity of um, culture in a contemporary setting. You know, I have uh, a, a sis that I went to school with. She's from, you know, uh, Northern Territory from the uh, Borolula, which is in the uh, Gulf of Carpentaria. And I think about, uh, you know, traditions and cultural practices up there. If, if Captain Cook had landed in uh, Darwin, you know, Sydney would be very different today. So, um, and so I think that when anyone picks up this book and reads it, they will understand more about culture in a contemporary setting that continues to exist uh, regardless where someone landed in this country, but the fact that uh, it continues to exist and continues to be practised. Um, and I, for me, you know, I think about, you know, my Wiradjuri dreaming, my, my upbringing and the, the belief and love that I have been granted from so many people that are related to me by blood but related also to me by spirit um, and their connectedness and just belief systems, I think that's such a, a wonderful place to be and, and I think it will open people's eyes to any of the views that they have about uh, my people that there is we are very complex, but we're also very inclusive. And through all of the heartbreak and heartache over time, that you know what shines through for me is that love uh, needs to be at the core of who we are, and 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 it it exists there. It is there. People just—it's one of the things we need: food, we need shelter, we need warmth, we need water, and we need. We respond when we hold someone we care about. Our brain yeah. does stuff. <laughs> and yeah. it makes us want to be better or whatever it is. But it's like a part of what we need. Is, is mm. we, we, of course we desire it. Of course we desire yeah. it. You mentioned about the Wiradjuri culture is a, is a matriarchal society. Mm -hmm. What's, what, are the, what are the differences around, around courtship? there because you know we we've inherited the kind of patriarchal thing of like you've got to go and ask the dad if it's okay you know she's got no say in it you know that's bullshit but that's kind of <laughs> what has come from the people that were older than us because of the way yeah, yeah. the laws were structured to favor men and the property traveled down the men's line and like you had to ask them the dad if you could marry the daughter because it means that you would then have access to their property there's a complete yeah, ridiculousness yeah. but that's yeah, what yeah. was i'm just fascinating what are the differences in courtship I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting when I think about it, and it's really strange actually to talk about it when you just live it. So, in terms of the patriarchal and the matriarchal, Radri, um, you know. So, in terms, so if I, my children's my uh, ex, he's from the Bidjigal people at La Perouse, and so, um, so my children 
but because um, they're from a matriarchal society, like Radri, from their mother, uh, we hand down our culture and say Radri is first and foremost. And although they have digital wow. heritage, they know that they are Radri. I'm not saying we're dominating, but I'm just saying that this is the way it, that it's always been. And it has been very strongly um the engagement with Wiradjuri people has been very strong throughout their whole life, as it has been mine. So whoever comes from uh, the females and um, is ordinarily, you know, that that's your your dominant side, your your matriarchal side, which is about the culture and traditions. And I don't know if you captured, but in the book, um, our men, our Wiradjuri men, are never diminished. They are. Uh, equal, um, but they also are very respectful to the women. And so um, what I tried to, you know, sort of capture in the book is about the amount of of women that, um, you know, these lovebirds had to sort of face almost uh, and get approval because um, that comes back through that, you know, that the, the motherly or the grandmotherly love. And um, I've been so fortunate to have that in my life, I, you know, one of the hardest parts of, you know, sort of capturing some of the traits in in these matriarchs in this book is, I mean, and that's what makes me sob more than anything. I haven't had my grandmother's, uh, I lost, you know, my dad's mum 11 years ago, my mum's mum uh, 22 years ago, and, and my great aunt, um, who I did write about in the book, uh, Annie Beard, you know, when I was about 14. And so they really are very pivotal in my life. There's a nurturing that takes place uh, for the girls and for the boys in in ways that you cannot remove. You almost remove the essence of who you be um, if you don't honour that, uh, you know, first and foremost. When the young women around you start to date, are you a part of the committee that the boys have to pass? (laughs) Uh, my kids are very funny with me. Like my son's uh, 30 and my oldest daughter is, um, you know, tw- 26, she'll be 27 this year and my youngest is 17. And it's been interesting. I watched it. I was sort of giving my son a bit of a, a stern uh, talking to you because he's about to get very serious with his, his girlfriend. So I was just sort of saying like, you know, you can't let any any uh, woman take away who you are as a regular man sort of thing. And, and which was a really interesting conversation, which I don't recall having with anyone else about me but but I do remember um and when I think about my my daughters um and they are very nervous bringing the the you know the boyfriends like my my daughter's partner he's absolutely you know he's a beautiful man and he he just respects women um with every every part of his being and respects everyone actually but you know he certainly holds women in in in, um with total regard and when I think about and I've seen that even with my mum and so when I think about, um, you know, the not the tribal council, but almost like, your, you know, your, your assessment process, I mean, the women, yeah. you know, it's definitely there without a doubt. But, and it's, and I watch it like my, I, f- I always think about my dad, you know, there's a, he's, you know, was surrounded by these women, you know, like no, no sons and, uh, you know, a wife and, and three daughters and how he, he must have cope with it, but it's just it's just all it's just a given. And I and yeah. I've t- spoken to my uncle, um, you know, he was a trailblazer and created so much in Redfern and, and went on to do amazing things. And I sort of spoke to him about how 
sometimes these these women not are overbearing but how you know how things get done and it's just it's not a it's not a domination it's just more around we are the doers and uh, we are the backbone and it doesn't mean that we do it at the expense of our men we actually do it with our men um, but the way that I have watched in my lifetime and the way that the the males have been towards the women that have raised them or been around them, it's 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 very beautiful to to see because it's it really comes back to that love, um, regardless of um, you, you know regardless of the ties. But there's a there's a a respect in that type of love and a love in that type of respect that you don't see elsewhere. Just a moment away from Yvonne to talk to you a little bit about Dad Pod, which is the other podcast that I do with Charlie Clawson. As I mentioned, we uh, speak a lot about uh, toddler nutrition and food refusal this week, which is really interesting if you are an upcoming toddler parent or you know someone who's got a toddler or your grandkids have toddlers or you may one day have a toddler. It's a really interesting lesson. I learned a lot, that's for sure. We do have to play some ads here to pay the bills. If you'd like an ad-free version of this show, you can find it at Patreon, patreon.com slash Osher. There's also full video episodes of the show available. I hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation with Yvonne coming up right after this. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm, I'm so grateful that you wrote this book and that this book is out there because it's, you know, it's this, as you mentioned at the start of our conversation, you know, so much of the story that is told involves a lot of things that are seen through a negative lens, you know. There's so yeah. little of the story of, you know, our First Nations people that is told of a place of bounty and joy and knowledge and what I can learn from it and love and and song and celebration and art and music and food. You know, that's mm. it's not so much the dominating story, which sucks because it's not everything, is it? It's no. not, you know, I'm not saying it's not a part of it. By all means, no. I'm just saying that it's only a part of it. It's a mm. part of it. There's so much yes. more. But if, like, if we only ever told that story about, you know, the, the white people in this country, like, it would be a grim six o'clock bulletin, you know? <laughs> it would be. Yeah. yeah. It won't, like, if you, if you only tell the story about, the, like, the awful domestic violence that we saw in Sydney today and not the people that started this amazing company and look, we just gave, you know, we, we helped all these incredible people and look at this yeah. song. Can you taste this food? Like, we don't, you know what I mean? It, yeah. Sorry, I'm off on a tangent. Um, you are, and this is this part of me. I'm kind of really kind of fascinated about this about your your involvement with the with the Australia Day Council. Uh, yes. For people listening overseas, this is the best thing you're credited for. Is it's the the Fourth of July, but it's it's the day that. Um, well, there's a lot of contention. It's not the day that Captain Cook stuck a flag in Australia. No. All right. And it's certainly, you know, no, no. That was August 22nd and it was in 1770 and it was on a place called Possession Island way up in far north Queensland. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do with Sydney Harbour. But mm-hmm. the, the common misconception is that it happened in Sydney, Sydney Harbour. Mm-hmm. As someone 
who is a proud Wiradjuri woman, someone who's like his roots are in the uh, origins of the Aboriginal Legal Council and the, you know, the Land Council and the, you know, the Housing Corporation. What was it? What did it mean for you to say yes to getting involved in the Australia Day Council? Uh, when I was, I, I've done a number of things uh, during, you know, the 26th of January over a few years and we have a day and morning event that Metro Land Council puts on and we actually do it on the eve. We've started on the eve and, and so we've done a range of uh, pieces of work with state government and then I was approached to see whether I was interested in coming on to the board um, mm. and I was really challenged by that, I can tell you. Um, I went and spoke to my elders and 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 specific some of them that were very vocal and very forthright um, in the movement in this country, you know, set up the 10 embassy and, and you know, created, you know, the legal service and, and did the marches and all those things and were out the front and speaking about our sovereign rights. And I spoke to them and I went back home to country and I spoke to my elders and my parents and, and you know, the, I was told, you know, get in the tent, you know, get in and educate, get in and have those conversations around those tables because it's views like ours are views that are not heard and we need to make sure that people see it from our view. And I thought, oh, you know, and he said, don't, don't stand outside the tent and throw rocks from afar. Get in there and have the conversations because you have, a, you have the opportunity to make change. You know, I, I didn't do it that, that way and I could have done so much more. And you know what, he did, he is continuing to do it, even if it's not through him, it, it may be through me. But there is so many opportunities to be able to share and I have and it's been really you know, wonderful to see that there has been a transition, there's been more meaning. And I keep saying to him, hold on, the people that are protesting, they need to be at the table. You need to have, don't avoid it because the more that you avoid it, the larger it becomes and the more that you actually create um, a division rather than an inclusion. And so, you know, and then someone had said, we'd done a piece of work and they said, oh, you know, that means that you you want to keep the date. And I said, no, no, let's be very clear. That's, Yvonne Weldon will never say that. Um, but all I'm saying is that if you keep this date, you keep all of it. Yeah, don't, wow. ju- don't just have parts of it. You own all of it. And so that's the part where people sort of think, oh, so so you mean, you know, we need to acknowledge them? Well, of course you need to acknowledge it. Why would you continue to avoid it? Because if you're not going to actually address uh, what took place, then you're in denial and people actually don't like pe- things to be hidden like this. They want it to be out in the open and they want to be able to address it. How do we ever move forward if you do not? And so... You know, it's been it's, it's been interesting, and and you know what, I there are so many wonderful people that I've worked with, um, Department of Premier and Cabinet, and and State Government, and and Premiers, and the, the likes, where there has been some real honest conversations with such respect that I haven't seen. You know, when I think about the march in '88, and the amount of people that marched. I mean, I'd never seen a march anything like that before in my life, and I remember the reenactment um, down at. Um, what was it, Lady Macquarie's chair or whatever it was called in those days and it's sort of changed now and Mrs Macquarie's chair or whatever it is. And um, and I think, why did you avoid, why did you avoid um, making sure that my people were a part of this? And and it's it was interesting, the amount of people that came together and that from 
this whole continent. There is people that travelled for weeks to get here on bus buses and in cars and, you know, from WA, from the Territory, Central yeah. Australia, you know, South Australia. And there were people that came up, both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, from, you know, every state and territory across this country to march, not to sell. And so, you know, I think that was a moment in time that will never change for me of what we started off wrong, um, but can we finish right? And until we actually have... Uh, that journey together, we will continue to be separate. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think about, you know, some of the conversations that I have had over time. And, I, and don't get me wrong, like I, my biggest challenge was about how much would I have within my own family and community in those debates. And I've, I've had some sticky conversations, but one thing that they will never change is that what I bring to that table is no different to what I brought to those streets uh, marching uh, and protesting. That's the same person that sits at those tables, but there's, you know, many different ways on how you can get different and positive outcomes. And um, I can do that from afar or I can do that from within. And and it's no different to what I've captured in 67 days in my book or what I've captured in in, uh, being elected at Town Hall uh, for the City of Sydney Council um, it's the same conversations that we need to have. And like you said, you know, from the, from the start, you know, you, you can't be what you don't see. And, um, you know, it's, it's been an interesting journey. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of an insight in terms of what gives me, you know, my strength is that my grandson, as I said, you know, he's three, but last year when he was two and around election time, there was, you know, my core fleets, you know, uh, on, it was so weird. So, you know, on, on telegraph poles and likes, but next yeah. door to my grandson's preschool at Paddington um, was a polling place. And so there was lots of different posters and, and um, he's, you know, fencing, like they had picket fencing. And uh, he was with his couple of his mates and he said to his mates, come here. He said, see that, that's my nin out there. That's my nin. And the teachers were watching him sort of showing his little mates that that was me. And I thought, you know, God love him. Like if if that's normal for him at two years of age, what will be normal for him when he's 20? And and so, you know, the fact that that's a memory for him, um, well, hopefully it will be in the future, but it was a point in time that uh, it is a point in time in terms of our direction. Yeah, you've got tears in my eyes here, Siobhan. Yeah, that's extraordinary, you know. Yeah. That's extraordinary. You know, that's just just contrasting the two stories of little kids that you've told me, you know, your own story and then your grandson's yeah. story. It's just yeah. Yeah. such a uh, – yeah. Look, honestly, I'm, I'm just so grateful that you said yes to getting involved in mm. that – whatever goes on around January 26th. And the idea that you just said is like you can't just ignore it. You, you've got to have all of it. Mm. You've got to have all of it on that yeah. day and all yeah. of it has to be a part of it. Um, that's really, really powerful. And I don't know, when you see that we've just had a government change by the time, you know, for you listening to this in five years from now, we just had a government change, quite a significant yeah. one. Um, to see a new Prime Minister opening the batting, uh, and his first shot is committing to the Uluru Statement from the heart. Mm. When you hear a leader talk like that, do you get your hopes up? Do you, like, what, what happens? 
Uh, I think, um, yeah, it's it's hopeful. I just think that they have to get it right in all layers. Like it's one thing yeah. to have, you know, the headline. Um, there's another thing to have uh, the commitment on the ground with the very people that we're talking about. Um, I think one of the difficulties, and I've had some reservations about the Uluru Statement of the Heart, more for the fact of how it got there. I was a part of the dialogue that took place here in Sydney and it was insulting to say the least. There was 100 people that you have the largest population of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in this state, in New South Wales, and yet 100 people in Sydney, which was half the state, and there was another 100 in Dubbo, which was the other half of the state, 200 people, does not really cut it. You know, there were people that walked out at Uluru because those very people around all of the nations um, across the country were not equally represented or were not represented at all. Um, and the fact that I was there over some of my elders, I found that really insulting and very disrespectful to them. Um, and so I think that the dialogues that they used in a leadership type of approach uh, is not how we exist. That's not how, you know, we didn't have kings and queens, you know, of, of tribes and nations. This is about a collective coming together. I'm not saying we all get, get along and we all agree on everything. But if you truly don't have the conversations to talk about the complexities of the issues, then um, you'll never arrive at the same place and you'll just create, in, in fact, you'll make things worse because it will always become about, oh, it's them and rather a different them than, than those other yeah. them before. And then it won't be about us at all. So I think that the, definitely the commitment um, and what that looks like in terms of the detail uh, has to... Um, be sorted. I'm a little bit more inclined to have a treaty first because we're talking it, which is sort of conflicts for me, is that we want to put words in a constitution, but we want to say that that constitution is accurate, but it's not with the traditional owners of the people that existed here before. So it sort of flies in the face of it for me. Um, you want to put words in a constitution that doesn't represent my people because we're sovereign but you want to say this constitution represents the sovereignty of this country. And you go, wait a minute, I'm a bit confused by that. And if you give me the recognition around treaty and do proper treaty making with the people in this country, then you can make some of those positive changes. And then you have a lot of people that talk in the community and say, well, that's not going to change, you know, the heartache of X, Y and Z that's continuing in, you know, multiple generations, this intergenerational trauma. Um, but, you know, what is the way forward? And I just think that it's not just, it isn't a silver bullet, but I think it's a start. And, you know, that maturity in leadership is so important. Um, and we haven't seen it for a while and just putting that out there. But, uh, you know, it's it's... You know, and the fact that um, empathy is existent without having to work for it uh, shows so much more maturity, but also just, the, um, you know, to care for someone else other than self is, is an important part of who we need to be. I think that's who we all need to be. It's, 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 it's interesting, you know, because I, I, look, I only know what I know from my perspective. I can't know, ever know what it's like to be anyone, but who I am and growing yeah. up where I grew up and I can't, yeah. I can't possibly know the details of the processes that happened inside the rooms that mm. you were in, you know, mm. to hear you say that the, the treaty is more important for you. Um, that's, that's really powerful, Yvonne. Mm. That's really powerful for me because it, it makes it, I understand, I understand that I get, 
I get that. It speaks in the language of, well, before we get there, let's just start here and then yeah. let's let's get this bit right and then from there we can – I think it's, so, it's slow. People want things fixed quickly. Um, but it's uh, – what can we do? What can we do as just people listening to this, people watching this? What can, what can we do in our day-to-day lives? You, you mentioned going for a drive now from where you are and having a look at a waterhole and having a think about who might have lived there. Mm. What, are some thing, what are some things that we, can't, we can do while we wait for our leaders to get their act together? I think um, just engaging with people locally, just understanding where you are, understanding your history as well. Like there is so mm. much around us. Even our whole dynamics of where we live has changed dramatically and yet we still think we're living in, in a particular world that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and that could be, you know, the diversity of people that are now, the diversity of nations from across the globe that now live here as well. And I think that's mm. a beautiful part. You know, we all are the fabric of this land. We are woven together, um, let's stop fraying it, let's start pulling that together in a, in a way that we can come together as a true tapestry. But also don't think that um, that erases the the original part of this country. And I think that's the part that gets really caught up in all of it is that we sort of go, oh yeah, we'll just, you know, as we said, tick off on something and then, oh, it's just that we don't need to worry about it again. But if, if you actually, if none of the people are, are included, like, you know, I've had conversations around reconciliation action plans. Um, it's one thing to have the plan, but if you don't make a difference for the very people that it's meant to support or meant to be reconciling with, then what are you doing it for? Is it just to tick off on something, you know? Um, you know, employ an Aboriginal person or engage with ab- Aboriginal organisations and see what you can do together as a joint uh, venture or joint business or just just join uh, and share, you know, break bread with people that you haven't ever um, engaged with before or ever eaten with or don't always think that it's about, you know, a them and us. It's got to be about us. And, you know, when I think about so many of the elders that have gone, uh, which I tried to capture in 67 days, you know, they – everything they endured – you know, like my grandfather, he was born in 1900. He was removed. He was a child slave. And when he was old enough, he, he went back home to Cowra and he married, you know, his childhood sweetheart. And, you know, uh, they had a few children. And, and my grandfather, you know, he um, was a really good horse rider. He was his, and him and his boys, they were all very good drovers. And he made the, you know, the local cockies very rich. And he was actually that he was the only Aboriginal man in the 70s allowed to drink inside of a pub in Cowra here in New South Wales, right? And he never really drank, my grandfather, but he would go inside that bar and so the other Aboriginal people had to buy from the back door. They weren't allowed to come inside. You're like, this is my dad, right? And my dad couldn't go inside the pub, but my grandfather could. And grandfather never, he sort of would have a shanty or something, I don't know, whatever that is, a watered-down beer. And, um, and he would sort of stand in there because... It was about him being seen, you know, him yeah. being. And and yet Grandfie, you know, he was one of the first, you know, he held records at the Royal Easter Show here in Sydney and in Brisbane for the highest jump. He was um it was on a horse called Thumbs Up. And and in those days, uh, all our Aboriginal men, they were never referred to by their name. They were called Jackie or Jimmy. They would say, Come here, little Jackie, or come here, Jimmy. You know, that was their attitude. And so my Grandfie he um, he t- had a 
a horse showman's name called Jimmy Calligan and we think maybe Calligan was the stable owners of the, the horse. And um, so Granfy held these records at the Royal Easter Show here and in, and in Sydney and in Brisbane. And, you know, so that was in the, um, you know, in his young life and yet he was one of the first men to cross the Harbour Bridge um, when the Harbour Bridge opened. So he was on, you know, riding a horse across with all these non-Aboriginal men. And, and yet my Grantphy had to wait another 30-odd years before he was recognised as an Australian citizen in his own country. So um, this is living history. This is, this yeah. is and, and yet that continues on. But yet here he was generous enough to continue to um, give to others and to be able to, you know, not necessarily receive. And so in terms of my book and what I've tried to capture, you know, yes, it's a fictional love story and yes, it's got some lived experience and yes, it's got some lived people. The reason why I've done that is that I want people to be able to see it through their lens of yeah. of of love, but I also want them to understand that wherever they, you know, are, um, no matter what they're doing in this beautiful country of ours, is that there's so much more of the stories that need to be told um, that are never heard, and there's even more amazing people a part of the story that will never be seen or never be heard, never be recognised. And in in my own little special way, I've been able to capture some of these wonderful people that gave to me in belief and gave to me in love um, in ways that you could never, um, you, 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 it could never amount to anything in, in, you know, monetary terms, but it's the most richest thing I could ever have in my life. And, and I'm hoping that my children and my grandson and my future grandchildren um, we'll be able to draw from that richness and everyone else's children and other, anyone else that wants to pick up the book that can draw from the fact that, you know, this is just one story. There are so many untold stories out there and you can get to see them and hear them and read them um, through the very people that live um, and have always lived on the land that you're living on. <laughs> Yvonne, I could, I could talk to you for hours, mate, but I can't <laughs> thank, thank you. you enough for the time that you've taken thank to you. speak to us today. It's just extraordinary to hear what you've had to say today and I, and I really hope people have had a chance to listen and maybe shift perspective a little bit. Yeah. Not even that, not even like at all. You didn't, not saying that you got it wrong, which is like, I never thought about it that way. And it's not yeah. a bad thing. It's just like, yeah. oh, I didn't, I didn't just think about it like that. Expand oh, a little that's bit. That's interesting. Yeah. Brilliant. The yeah. best ever. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time. You're the best. Thanks so much for your time. That was Yvonne Weldon. You can find her on Instagram at Y-V-O-N-N-E-W-E-L-D-O-N underscore. So it's Yvonne Weldon with an underscore after it. Her book is called 67 Days. It's out right now. She's extraordinary, isn't she? Such an incredible human being. Thanks, each, for listening. Thanks for being a part of the show. If you need me, it's super easy. Send us your email at gmail.com. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Make sure you check out Masked Singer tonight. Yeah, we're on tonight. It's Monday night. I hope you check it out. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy the guessing. I love the guessing. I love not knowing. It's the best part. A big thanks to everyone that helped me make the show today. Bree Steele on research and support. Toe Hyder, who made all the music. Andy Ma, who cut the whole show together. And Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of The Lot. Thanks for being a part of it. I'll speak to you on Wednesday. Until then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.